we sold to this company called App Dynamics. And App Dynamics, we sold to the recruiting team. And the recruiting team, you know, we're trying to figure out how to sell more seats. So I'm, I'm meeting with the, the head of recruiting and, you know, can we enable more recruiters? And he tells me, look, we don't have any more recruiters, but this tool could be used by the sales team. Let me walk you over. He literally grabbed me, walked me over to the SDR pit. He called over one of the SDR manager. And he's like, sit here and watch this demo. So I, I demoed it for him. And he said, yeah, yeah, we can totally use this right now. So we sold the yeah, dynamic sales team. And, and after that, it was up and to the right. So to, to, to answer your question, uh, the most important thing that we did is that we use outreach to make sure that we're generating meetings. And that was hardcore. Like for us, meeting generation created pipeline and pipeline generation created revenue. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast, where we interview top founders on all things growth, retention, expansion. It's our goal to help you learn from the best by hearing exactly what they did so you can apply those similar approaches to your seed and Series A company. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, former founder in Silicon Valley VC. I currently manage VC and startup partnerships at Zendesk for Startups here in Silicon Valley. Zendesk for Startups offers six months free for all things Zendesk for all qualified high-growth companies. On this episode, I interview the CEO of Outreach, Manny Medina. Three big takeaways. First, they focused on the outcome to the customer. They weren't just an email automation platform for sales teams. Their North Star was how do we help our customers' sales teams get more meetings. When you focus on the outcome, the rest takes care of itself. Cash-based. They were charging in the beginning. And he, he said, for the price of a cup of coffee per day, you can have your sales reps using outreach. It wasn't super expensive, but they were not afraid to charge. And he said they actually switched to a cash-based model where they were only counting the revenue once the actual cash came in the door. And he said, that's the best way to indicate product market fit. So for anyone out there who's saying, hey, we don't need to charge, we want to wait, I would be really cautious on that according to this. And also the last interview we did with Doxen CEO, Russ. Finally, they micromanaged their customers in the early stages of onboarding. I don't know a better way to say it. He called it uncomfortably close customer success. So in the mornings, they would literally see, okay, who's trending up in usage? Who's not? The ones who weren't, they didn't just send them an email. They got on the phone. They talked to them. What was the problem? What's happening? They knew how important those early stages of using the product. I was like, how do you make product decisions? And he was like, oh, we just go over here and pull the product team in who's sitting right next to us and they hear what's on the sales call and boom, it's a great episode. You're going to love it. Hey, I want to quickly mention our top partner, AWS Activate. There are links in the show notes. I know you've all heard of them. Thank you for partnering with us, AWS. We'll dive right into this. I mean, tell me with Outreach, when you first founded it, was it doing the same thing that it is now, at least the core product? A core insight into Outreach was workflows. We came out to market. There was already point solutions that were doing email management and selling bumps and other things. We had the insight that people wanted to make sure that you got an outcome out of whatever you were doing. But it wasn't just sending an email or sending a great email. It was getting to a meeting. It was getting to a great meeting. It was setting up the next meeting. It was closing a deal. So the ability to string together activities, automate some of them to get you to an outcome was what sellers really needed. And that was our core insight into the market. And that's what got us to where we are right now. So we just made it more complex, put more governance, put CRM safe, put a bunch of stuff around it. But this singular focus on seller workflow and how do we make sellers great via workflow is what's driving our, um, our roadmap in, in the long term. Even. So good. When I started becoming aware of outreach, I was using Yesware initially, which I don't even know what's happened to them. I haven't been tracking, but it seems like y'all have just destroyed the markets. I'm excited to hear some of the growth things you did to get past that. They were in the mix. How that was in the mix and sales.com was in the mix. It was a big bag of things out there back then. That's really cool. Well, how big are you now? I'm sure everyone 
who's listening has heard of outreach, but just that you can share that. Yeah, we crossed a thousand individuals, a thousand team members a few couple months ago. We have offices in New York and Seattle, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Atlanta, London. We have over 5,000 customers. It's been fun. That's amazing. Let's go to the early days. Maybe it's like year one, year two, and you hadn't hit the real hockey stick growth yet. Can you tell us the, one of the biggest decision points you did, tactics, strategies to kind of, to really take you to that next level? Yes. Outreach is a pivot. I don't know if you, you, you knew that. So we started as a recruiting software and the first sort of like major pivot was when we sold to this company called AppDynamics. And AppDynamics, we sold to the recruiting team and the recruiting team trying to figure out how to sell more seats. So I'm, I'm meeting with the head of recruiting. And he tells me, look, we don't have any more recruiters, but this tool could be used by the sales team. Let me walk you over. He literally grabbed me, walked me over to the SDR pit. He called over one of the SDR manager. He's like, sit here and watch his, and watch his demo. So I, I demoed it for him. And he said, yeah, yeah, we can totally use this right now. So we sold the dynamic sales team. And after that, it was up and to the right. So to answer your question, the most important thing that we did is that we use outreach to make sure that we're generating meetings. And that was hardcore for us. Meeting generation created pipeline and pipeline generation created revenue. And, you know, a lot of companies like to optimize for things to go up and to the right. And they say engagement and uses, blah, blah, blah. For us, it was cash. But, you know, it, it wasn't until we received our Series A that we were running the business on a cash basis. So when you sold for cash and for revenue growth, you know, your mind operates a little bit different. The way that you run the company operates a little bit different. And the first thing we did is we optimized everything for, for meeting generation. And that allowed you to be really close to the customer because every seat was a hustle. Every transaction was, you know, was a win. There's a lot of talk about, you know, product-led growth and, and you know, letting your product do the growth. That abstracts you a little bit from understanding your core user, from almost touching them. We always call the user every month, even almost every week and say, hey, why are you using outreach? I know that you bought it, but you can churn right now. Why will you stay on it? And then we get the feedback and then we use that feedback to build the next bit of the product to continue to sell that particular value proposition. That is staying closer to the customer allows you to build pipeline, generate revenue, and know that you have product market fit. Ah, that's, this is awesome. First started when you were selling to recruiters, what was that like? Was that just not working in the same way? Cause I imagine you took that same approach to sales, but you just had a breakthrough in the segment. It just failed too hard. You know, understanding product market fit is one of those things is a feeling, right? It failed hard. You know, there was a lot of promise. We will talk, we will deep dive into your pain. We will identify how do we make it better. We will fit the average solution into it. And then you will go away and not buy and we had that problem, you know, out of every 50 recruiters, only, you know, 10, five who bought. That didn't feel like, a, like an efficient business. And there was always these distractions and like they weren't willing to invest in tech. And, and we had the, the premise of, that um, agency recruiters who buy faster than, than internal recruiters, all you know, the opposite was true. Internal recruiters of fast growing companies were faster to buy than anybody else. Cloudera, Dynamics, Long, like there was a bunch of like, you know, fast and hot, like they were the hottest in Silicon Valley. They couldn't hire fast enough and the recruiters' hairs were on fire and they were the fast buyers, but they only have five seats. So the same sales cycle applied to the inside sales team took me to a hundred seats versus five seats. And that was the, that was, the game was over after that. That's really cool. And I think that's what Henry, who introduced us, Henry Shuck, CEO of Zoom Info said, that nailing that go-to-market fit. They, you know, product market fit was there for the most part, but he said the importance of you have to get that right in the beginning. They were talking about how they use Chorus. I know that they bought Chorus, but using to just, he still listens to those calls, understands the objections. 
And that's like some of the biggest insight that he has as a CEO even now. And it sounds like you've been doing that since day one as well. That's right. And this is the beauty of being in workflow is that in the, the workflow gives you a record of everything that is happening with every seller, right? So you can listen, you know, through Kaya, now you can listen to goals, but before then, you know, you can just read the emails and see the objections. So we could classify the objections and use NLP to figure out, you know, why are people buying? Why are they telling us no? What, you know, why are they going with somebody else? And, and then why they were churning or like, why, you know, why were they unhappy? So the ability to stay like in the workflow is the ultimate level of detail in which you can dig in. You see, I mean, at the end of the day, sales is, is a set of conversations and a promise made and then a promise delivered. You see what I mean? So people buy on the promise and then you have to deliver on the promise. So you deliver the promise, you need to figure out why. Do you personally have these conversations like as a founder in those early days? I think I sold the first, almost like the first either 100,000 or a quarter of a million dollars of outreach myself. And then when we hired the sales team, you know, they all, they all had quotas and whatever, but they all had a price. I think I gave them like a Mac Air or something to the first rep that would pass me in AR. They, you know, all five joined, their race was on to beat Manny on AR. And the moment that you beat Manny on AR, you became the top rep because I was the top rep first. Oh, that's so good. And how did you, when you had those conversations with customers, how are you including the team or just how are you thinking with the product? <laughs> product team is right here. So I, mean, I will like pull my co-founder in and that's the product team. This is the product team. <laughs> the product team. And the other two product teams were my other two co-founders who were developing. So at the very beginning, the product team was very small. It was my co-founder and myself. And then, you know, we hired more developers. We were, every, you know, we were all in every call. It was an all hands on deck. We were pivoting. We were coming from a world in which we were running out of cash. We were at the very bottom of the pit. Max on my credit cards. It, it was just bad. So for us, every customer was a blessing because as I told you, we're running on a cash basis. So every customer is cash showing in the bank is us making payroll. You see what I mean? So for us, it was an all hands on deck situation all the way to almost, I don't know, like 25 million, $100 million in AR. You were charging from literally like day one. Did you ever have a free plan that you started out with or was? For a cup of coffee a day, you can generate, you know, 5X your pipeline. That is a true asset test of product market fit. If you give me your credit card and you don't cancel, you're a good market fit. That's how we did it. We funded ourselves by selling the product. Actually just get those dollars in. I think it's forgotten way too much in this world of startup, which idolizes the the fundraising, not so much just blocking and tackling, getting the money in the bank. And I'm sure you had no problem raising money when you had actual cash. And so when we were raising our series A, we had three slides. I think the first one said, you know, we sell to salespeople. The second one said, this is sort of the architecture. And third, we said there's 30 million B2B sellers in the world. That was literally our series A pitch. And then the fourth slide, we used to use Recurly back then. So we had the Recurly AR page and we'll just refresh. You know what I mean? Because we had five sellers in the back, just selling, you know, month-to-month subscriptions. You can see the line going up and up. He's like, well, I'm sitting here. We're just selling and we're just making money. The longer this meeting takes, you know, the longer I can, you know, it's going to, longer it's going to take to, for me to get back to selling. This is a real business. There's no smoke and mirrors. Exactly. Exactly. Just make one thing go up into the right and there'll be revenue. I love it. Well, talk to me about expansion because I'm sure that's been a priority. Like, how did you think about that? What were some of the biggest impact things that you did to increase expansion per customer? So expansion begins with retention and with customer success. So we onboarded every customer by hand to make sure that we understood their workflow because we sell workflow. So unlike selling databases or something else, our workflow means that somebody, a human being is going to touch the software, is going to get a result out of it. So we make sure that we understood what the business process we were optimizing for. So we onboarded every customer by hand. And then because you know we built a product ourselves, we threw all the signals from the product onto a spreadsheet, literally a Google Doc. So we wake up and see what the, every person did throughout in, in our different metrics. You know, did they, 
log into the product. How many sequences do they build? How many processes do they add to sequences? So how many how many replies do they get? How many meetings generated out of those replies? And they were all boom, dumped into a doc. And then whoever was not trending, we will call them. What's what's going on? What's wrong? You know, where do you get stuck? And sometimes it will be like, ah, you just forgot to turn on the account. You know, these sequences are too hard. You know, help me get started. We call that uncomfortably close customer success because we will be literally being like watching behind you as to what were you doing for us to be able to jump and identify what the problem was. And that allowed us to have a really high gross retention number throughout the life of outreach. And once you have a high gross retention, then you can net expand based on that. So once we help you, we ask you, you know, is there any other team in your organization that could be using outreach right now? Do you have a friend who could be using outreach right now? So for us, expansion was actually part of the motion. You see, because we needed to make sure that on an individual basis, we're making you successful. And once you were you're successful, we'd be like, oh, you should go talk to the mid-market team over in, you know, over in Austin because they're, they're killing it. They don't have anything. It was very manual at the very beginning. But it was fundamentally based on a great retention play. Ah, that is good. So talk to me about the details of that. So you're literally pumping product data into a Google sheet that your sales team sees, or was it an account management team, or was it a customer success team? Well, originally, my, my, my co-founder, Andrew, he hired two guys. He hired David and Jake. And David and Jake will like literally sit down look at the sheet, who is going to reach out to what customers, and that will be their workday. So our workday was literally driven by what the sheet said where people are doing. And because, you know, we closed during the day, we implemented people at night, on the morning that, you know, the, all your workflows will be ready, and then we observe who was using it, who was not. And whoever wasn't using it, we were calling. That was our day. You see what I mean? We sold, implemented, and then we, we sort of, you know, called them and make sure that they were being successful. Man, this just sounds too simple. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work. You know, the work began at 6 a.m. and ended at midnight, almost pretty much every, you know, for the first like almost a year. Oh, oh, I'm sure, but I just, it, it makes so much sense because I think so many founders are focused on expansion, right? I even asked you about expansion, but you're like, no, no, no. If you don't have retention, if you're not nailing the basics, don't even try to expand. Exactly. Exactly. Expansion comes naturally. Like, you know, it was, it was so much fun because getting to know your customers that intimately, like, you know, they will be like, Hey, let's go out and hang out. And, and, and even hanging out at a bar, they will introduce you to the manager of the, of the corporate team who doesn't have outreach and you should go sell them. So like at the very beginning, it was such a natural way to expand by making customers successful that we didn't even think so much about expansion other than just like, let's just dive in for every single customer, make them, make them great. Grew out. Did you continue to expand out your customer success? So as became our first big hire. So we hired somebody from Appview first and he built that out. You know, we then created like a whole maturity model where we understand, like put you in buckets so that you can have the right person. Our bit, one of my biggest home runs and one of the things I'm most proud of is hire Mike Zinni. Mike Zinni actually came from Zendesk and he was living here in Seattle. You know, he was getting a little, a little round down with the traveling to Wisconsin and then because he, uh, and then San Francisco and whatever. And he wanted to stay local. I'm like, dude, like, come and come and help us. I'm a huge fan of customer success. Matter of fact, we call ourselves a success company because we, you know, without success, we don't have expansion. So like everything is driven by success. And we were like, you know, finishing each other's sentences. So he showed up and now he runs success, support, professional services, pre-sales. But he, he, he was fundamental in like getting that team to scale. That's, oh, that's so cool. I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, such a small world here in tech. Final question, Manny, and this has been amazing. I mean, thank you so much. What is your superpower as a CEO maybe? And has it changed since the beginning days to where it is now? I would say it's two sides of the same coin. So I, I think one of my superpowers, is I'm, a, I'm a great listener, but it's because I'm incredibly curious. I'm like down to a fault. Like I always want to know why you know, when I drive to a town, my first question is, how do people make money here? What, what do they do? Where do they work? You know, how is the houses inside? Like, you know, what do they eat? Like, I'm always curious about the, the fundamental human being and what drives people. And that, I think that makes me a great seller. 
I've been accused of being the same thing as well. Just like super curious down to the point of like, I feel like I'm being interrogated. So I, I'm sure you've been able to make it sound better. It can get too much sometimes, but I that's get right, it. <laughs> that's right. And you know, when you're asking too many questions, because people just walk off on you. And that's what, that happens to me. I, I'm trying to be interested, right? I'd that's rather be right. interested. <laughs> and, uh, that's, I've, I've had to learn to tone it down with my wife. I, it can be too much sometimes. But I, I'm a big fan that energy needs to be directed in a, in a purposeful way. You're not going to stymie it. You know, more, more people like th this whole like YOLO mentality is here and it's here for all of us. So you want to make as much available to it. You know, there is a saying, I don't know if you heard of the saying, if you want to get something done, you give it to the busiest person. So my busy minds are busy for a reason. You know what I mean? And you want to let them be busy because that makes it more effective. That makes it better people. Even for my directs, I let them to go sit, sit on boards. Go sit on a board. Go see how the world looks like outside. Go learn about other problems we haven't had yet. That makes a better professional. So yeah, of course. I'm sure that's been able to allow you to attract even better talent. Of course. What happens here is that somebody like Sam, Sam Nelson, who has a million followers on LinkedIn right now, he's a creator, right? So he thanks us for letting him be a great SDR, a great manager, a great leader, and a great creator at the same time. So now you attract the best of both, right? And that accrues to the average brand. What do you say to those objections around just the standard reasons why big companies don't allow side hustles as frequently? What do you say to those objections? Because I'm sure your legal team has said something. You know, they haven't. What could be the objections? Are they working less? No, they're never working less. So this is the interesting thing. Those people who are doing side hustles are usually the highest performer. And that's the thing is that if you're not a high performer, if you're not supporting you to be a high performer, this is just not the place for you. And like, we fail you, but you know, let's just get to an agreement that this is just not a great place. Now, if you're a high performer, you're going to be a high performer and you're going to do your creative work too. I started another podcast on the side called The Top VC. And I literally do that. Zendesk is super flexible. They let me do it. And I've been able to interview some awesome people. And it just gives me this excitement because I was a founder. So now I'm here and I'm able to have that energy as a founder and still be able to hustle. It actually just makes me want to stay here even longer because I feel like it's nurturing and I know it's helping the Zendesk brand as well. So that's a perfect example. Yeah, that's exactly right. It makes you have better conversations, if, especially if you're customer facing. The richness of your conversation is of a different level, right? Because like some other SDR or AE or whatever is going to be talking to you and they don't have this panoply of interesting experiences. So making you a more interesting human being also makes you a better you know, customer facing individual. Man, this has been so good. Absolutely. Manny, thank you for your time. We'll end it right there. Boom. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for Startups and our free offer, please check out our website at zendesk.com slash startups.